0: This is my exit plan. Pride comes before a fall. That, that isn't about feeling good about yourself before autumn sets in. It's a good description of what happened to me. And, um, wow. Well, the problem I have is that I suspect I'm still full of pride. Proud of not being so blindly prideful. There comes a time in every hero's journey that he has to reassess his goals and whether he'll be victorious or not. Wow. Ready for the boom? Or maybe it was the pop. You'll be able to hear it in my first journal. That moment when I realise I've been a major tool and things were not as good as I thought. Character building, I think, is the term usually used for situations like this. I think it means I now have real character, and not just a flimsy excuse for one. I'd rather remain a hollow shell than a complete character if death is required for character development. Prior to now, my life has been pretty easy. I coasted through high school, just scraped into uni, and then coasted through. I never found myself in desperate times and always knew I had a family and friends to fall back on if needed to. That sort of life doesn't build the resilience and humility I think you need to be complete. The shame is I had to get so much desperation and humility in one hit. Oh I'm driving into work today. The train's just too full of well, wow, I smell of puke, mould and armpits. I'm kind of thinking if I take the train, I might meet that guy who killed the Maroi. I'm one half interested in confronting him, and one half scared he'll confront me. Ah, uh, how do I know it's a he? Well, the only people who are fooled by the big reveal when the leather-clad individual pulls off their helmet and shakes out their hair are the people in the script who are supposed to be. I don't think Hollywood has yet realised there are anatomical differences between men and women that mean women move differently. So this hunter on the train was definitely a man. Or at least they had the physiology of a man. I don't know how they choose to identify themselves. So, driving in my car, I don't have to worry about confronting him or being confronted by the general public. What's the time? Oh, oh crap, <laughs> I've got to run. No time to catch up with Heidi. Heidi? I'll just text her so she doesn't wait around for me. I caught up with Venus for a coffee as I don't have time to meet the gang at lunch today. There's far too much work to do. Venus is pretty excited to be invited to the game launch. She's a bit of a gamer girl at heart and is keen to rub shoulders with some of the games industry and journos. I think she has it in her mind that she's got a date with Tony that night. Oh, and Tony's good friend John will just happen to be there too. Some people just can't see what they're doing. I wonder why some people are so unmindful. I don't want to say mindless, but that's what it is. Unaware of how they act and what effect it has on people. I have to grab some lunch now and and then catch Graham and get on him about the server setup. So, an odd thing happened just after lunch when I'd finalised the basic logistics for the big game launch. I called Graham in and told him how I need the servers and network racks configured in the warehouse. The launch is in a warehouse, or or really it used to be a warehouse back in the day, Uh, now as a function centre it looks like an old warehouse. The offices have been upgraded and furnished to be comfortable and stylish, and the main warehouse floor has been insulated and rigged with air conditioning and heating, but it still looks like a warehouse. I need the servers set up just so, as I found that the usual configuration It tends to lag a bit. The gigabit cards need to be grouped and, well, it isn't that important either, right? So, after I outlined what I wanted, Graham said he was on it and left. But later, I found the guys were sorting the racks completely differently. I confronted Graham about it and even spun up some magic to really get him on point. His response? I remember it perfectly. Yes, of course, Master. I know exactly what you told me to do. So, why is it i found the racks are being set up differently? He just sighed and shook his head, seemed to collect himself and said, It might be easier for everyone if you just don't get in the way. I mean, what the absolute hell? I'm the one starring the launch streaming event. I'm the one in charge of making sure it all works. Ah, I know you're the main attraction and don't worry, We'll be sure it all works. Then he walked away. I can't believe it. I was so shocked. I went and checked on other aspects of the preparation, and there were discrepancies with what I'd ordered. I even had a look at the code we're going to ship, and I can see it's all over the shop, not the well-structured design I'd worked so hard on. Something's going on. Tomorrow morning, I'm going straight to Shilpa with this. I think it's only Graham and a couple of other guys who are in on it. The juniors... They're all still very obedient and eagerly jumping at my command. They're probably the ones responsible for the shoddy code that the senior tech should have been all over. Did you hear the break? It was just there when Graham walked off. They weren't listening to me. My role wasn't to produce the new game. I was there to charm the junior devs and designers. I found out they were all interns. Which is to say they weren't being paid and I'm pretty sure I was the one keeping them in the company and keeping them from questioning the lack of pay. Oh, this next entry is short but to the point. I went to Shilpa about Graham and the project. She sat and listened for a while before slapping the desk. Shut up! That's what she said. Just shut up. She looked me right in the eye and said, Stop wasting my time. You've done your job so very well so far. The final thing you have to do is turn up on launch night. I choked up. I was so livid and confused at the same time. She knew. No, it was more than that. It's what she hired me for. What did she hire me for? To bully some interns so they don't get paid? She needs me to turn up for launch night as the last thing. I guess once this game is launched, the interns and I will be dropped like garbage in the can. Does B know all of this? Was she in on it? I've got to talk to someone. I'm going to hide his. Short and sweet pop but wait there's more if you buy now i'll throw in a set of heart being ripped into i went to heidi's place do you think she was compassionate and empathetic if you do then you haven't been paying attention to my behavior i drove straight home well hang around It isn't like I'm actually positively contributing to my project. I need to get my head sorted and figure this out. I'm struggling to understand what's going on. At uni, I had a moment somewhere in my first year when I was doing literature and psychology when I found out I needed to do something like six years of uni to become an accredited psychologist and another three years after that to be a psychiatrist. I remember going home and sitting on my bed trying to imagine what it would be like spending the next nearly ten years at school. I'd be done when I was 28, and then just start my career. It just totally knocked me for a six. I didn't even really want to do psychology. I went out to the pub, and when I woke in the morning, I knew I had to change my majors. Heck, I changed schools from arts to business, and my majors to marketing and computing. So here I am feeling the same way. I don't want to struggle through another couple of weeks just to get to launch night. I'm not going to work tomorrow. I think a Thursday night of Rocket is in order. I bet the old guys from Medinow are having a night. It'd be good to see them. I went to see Heidi for support. Heidi was not happy to see me, and she was not kind. You're the worst kind of shallow. That's what Heidi said. You talk this big game about seeing clearly and knowing what's really going on, but you can't see what's right in front of your nose. You're about as phony as a person can be. Empty and cold go away. The trouble is I'm not sure she isn't right. We used to be tight, like real friends. But lately what have I done but fake a smile and pretend? I'm not surprised. So I'll head to Rocket to get some music and booze and see if I can catch up with my old hmm, friends I dunno, I don't I don't care much either. got some journals from that little spell. Just a couple of weeks ago, but it feels like a lifetime. The last few entries have made me cringe with embarrassment. The following makes me feel ill with anxiety. They reveal far too much, certainly far more than I would otherwise expose, but the story must be known, and I probably won't have to live with the problem. As you now know, I have a death match to lose. Just match different patterns and combinations of coloured gems. Maybe, maybe we both suspect it won't be that simple. I mean, the game will be. I was part of its creation. And it is a simple game. But the launch event tonight won't be so simple as playing a game. No respawning or load spamming until I win. Uh, The next, the next lot of journals cover the crash. That'll, that'll be hard to relive. Okay, I had to think really hard before releasing this set of journals. I don't know if they implicate me or act as a confession to manslaughter. I also don't know if I want this part of me revealed. But after all the inner debate and concern, I realize there's only one thing that needs to be considered. There's a warning here that needs to be heard. I decided I'd go catch up with my old acquaintances from Medino at Rocket. I think I think I was trying to reconnect with an earlier life. I was trying to disprove Heidi's statement that I was shallow and fake. In reality, I think it was like you know when you were a kid and you had a wobbly tooth. It hurt to fiddle with it, but you just couldn't help seeing how far you could wobble it before it hurt too much. You didn't want it to come out, but you also didn't not want it to come out. So, I went to Rocket to wobble the metaphorical tooth to see if it would fall out and see how much it would hurt in the process. Oh, geez, we're messed up sometimes. Oh, Rocket's a little quiet side tonight. So, uh, here I am, drinking alone, talking to my phone, effort to look like I've got someone to talk to. I've been keeping an eye out for the Medino crew, they usually come here on a Thursday. Ah, screw it, I'm not going to work tomorrow anyway. Um, yeah, another pint of the cider. No, not that one. Yeah, good man. Ah, I think I need a place called Metal It, you know. Rock is just a little too gentle, I, I know I'll start a band. We'll be called metal saviours, or saviours of metal. We'll wear the biggest, most studded codpieces, and we'll play so hard our music will be used as the punchline in metal jokes. I'll play guitar and sing, but like all good, really metal metal bands, I'll be credited with something like cacophonic, atonal, torment, screamer, and axe-wielding maniac. The drummer's name will be Kurt, but we'll all know him as Thor, God of Thunder. He'll be credited as the Smith of Men's Souls. Yeah, that's a good one. Bassists, let's see. He'll be known as Cthulhu the Deep One, Harbinger of the End. Wow. All I need to do now is learn how to play guitar and learn how to sing and... Meet a drummer called Kurt. I will be kick ass. Hey, oh, I can play guitar. My oh my singing though. Oh hey, hey there they are. That's Dave. Good old Dave. He's a very thorough program. Ah. Oh. oh that's all. Hey Dave! Oh, I record my journal, it's just adding some notes. Oh, it's, uh, it's been great, I, I got a job at, uh, yeah, okay, that's cool, righto, see you later. Oh, okay, so it wasn't all that tight with Dave anyway, oh, he's, he's a bit of a dick actually. Ah, oh, there's Richo, hey Richo, hey, oh, you're getting a drink from the bar, righto. I think all the Mino guys are a smelly pack of... Oh, hey, there's Heidi. She's come in and gone over to... Well, I, I guess she's gone over to her friends. Come to think about it, I don't think I even really know those guys. Dave, Richo, that's Kim and Laney. Uh, I know how to be charming now. Just turn my head thusly. Flex my hand. This fashion, three little shakes, sip of cider, and the jam goes on. Heidi will forget about the argument. We'll be all cool. Hint, Heidi didn't forget, and we are not all cool. Never will be cool again. She got into Laney's car and off they went, into history. Never was friends with the many no guys. I didn't let myself connect. I chose not to connect. It didn't help that I was searching for something that at the time didn't exist, and they were content with what they had. Actually, I have no idea if that's true. Maybe they just dealt with their lack of purpose better than me. I'm part of the Famous Five now. I probably should stop calling us that, or I'll get in trouble with Inner Blyton's estate. In a hundred years or something, that term will go in the public domain, and I'll be free to use it, but if that happens, I think I'll legally change my name to Mickey Mouse instead. Here comes... Here comes the next punch in the guts. I stood in the car park outside. Rain hammered my skull and ran into a little stream down the back of my jacket. My shoes got soaked. The street lights seemed to just make the night darker by throwing in a contrast to the stippled black of the asphalt. Hyde didn't even look back at me as Lanny's car pulled out roared down the road. It skidded precariously around the roundabout and then shot off into the deluge. I walked to the train station, took the train all the way to Mandra, and then walked the whole eight kilometers home. The rain had stopped at some point and night became hot and muggy. Or maybe I just felt that way. I don't know. I remember just lying, staring at the roof till I must have fallen asleep. In the morning I felt a little better. Sun was out, it was dry and hot. Didn't even call in sick to work, I just, I just went down the foreshore and get a coffee. I made the mistake, or maybe it was a good thing, but I, I made the decision to get coffee from the place I first got free coffee. Oh god, that was horrible. The barista recognised me right away. The look that came over her face. You think she just seen a rat sitting at a table eating a bowl of nachos with sour cream and chili. I'd look around and see if there was someone else or something else she was looking at, but it was just me. I approached the counter and ordered. She sucked her teeth and rolled her eyes. Sure. When I got the coffee, she charged me for a large, even though I'd ordered a small. The look she gave me... I just... I didn't bother complaining. I didn't even drink it. I just paid and left it on the counter. I went to another place and, while I wasn't so badly treated, I didn't get a warm welcome or a cheery smile and thank you with my coffee. I'm pretty sure it's one of those places I'd use magic to get a discount. That's when it struck me. I'd use magic on Heidi. Or I'd tried. She acted all weird and, and ran off like that with Lainey. Uh, did I cause it? Was, it? was it my fault? There. There was an accident last night. I got a phone call from Ulrich. That's Heidi's dad. I, Heidi didn't make it home last night. There was a, an explosion at the petrol station. I don't have any more details on those, what was on the news, but I could clearly see the burnt out shells of a set of cars on the forecourt in the news stream. One of those cars was Laney's. Delaney Maguire was her name. My charm magic was to work on the group. Did I stuff it up? Mess up their brains? Laney and Heidi both seemed pretty pissed at me when they took off. The tires squealed on that wet road. I remember thinking that going too fast. I killed her. It's my magic, it's my fault. It's crap. I don't know magic, I know sweet FA. My job's a lie, I'm a fake. I don't know jack about the real world. I'm done here. Monday I'm quitting. Shilpa bloody Patel can go find another token fool to act the goat in front of the world. I'm done. I'm done. I thought I was done, but that isn't how the world works. Like I said in that journal, I know jack about the real world. At least at least now I have some purpose and direction again. I can thank B for that. She's an angel. I wonder what an angel would actually be like. I don't think the Bible mentions female angels. I also don't think there's many cases of angels doing nice things. The nicest thing I can think of is Lot being saved from the destruction of Sodom. The angels destroyed Sodom and turned his wife to salt, so... Not sure how good I'd classify that. It seems, it seems everything is evil and the best forgiveness ultimately comes from within, not some external, impersonal entity. You think I bottomed out... No, oh, no, but before we get to that, there's this. I've been staring at the pile of five books. Book one, Collected Journals and Writings of the Hunters, by Victor Hills, 1786. Yeah, it's a bunch of letters and journals, encyclopedic entries that have been transcribed or inserted into the bindings. The lettering is, is beautiful. Victor must have been the one to collect the journals and do the transcriptions, but there are no names given that I've seen, so I've no clue who these hunters are. This isn't the first time I've wondered if this or a similar collected journal wasn't the inspiration for at least one popular long-running TV series. I wonder if any of the lore mentioned on that show appears in this book. It'd be handy to get a bit of help on some supernatural things. Then we've got... Uh, we've got this one. Catalogue of the various denizens of the Old World. Written by David Gelstein in 1823. This is a journal and scrapbook written by David Geldstein who seems to have travelled from the New World, that's the USA, to the Old World, which is Europe. In particular, he seems to have spent a lot of time in the eastern fringes of Europe. I've mostly read about his time in the Principality of Transylvania, which is now in Romania. He just travelled around, making observations and collecting stories. Occasionally, he did a bit of monster hunting. Then... Then we have My Grimoire This is the big one Esoterica of Floriborology by Ulysses Byford in 1922 It's a textbook by all appearances an introductory manual on the formulation and execution of magic as collected by the Floriborists There's no mention of who they are or where you might find them My online search has turned up a monastery that uses a flowering tree symbol, but that's all. I get the feeling that Ulysses Byford himself was not a floriborist, but that he was putting together his text in an effort to formalise teachings of magic. If Ulysses lived an average lifespan, uh, he would have died not long ago, which means he should have relatively recent records on him. If I put my mind to it, I might be able to track him down, or at least... Track down where he used to be and who he used to know. I'm highly suspicious of that book. It makes magic seem so easy, but I can see now it isn't something to just mess about with. I had the feeling that should have been obvious. And we have the, um... The script book. If the markings on the cover are the title and the author then they're indecipherable. I don't know if this is the real language or an invented language, like like a code or, or maybe it's just fanciful designs. I also don't know what year this book is from. I mean, it looks old. It's older than the others, if that's anything to go by. There are notes and translations, however. It's, some of them are written in the margins and others are written on papers stuck into the book. Uh, It seems to be a book of recipes and ingredients of means for protecting yourself and... I have no idea. Gerald Hilfgeist, the author of the translations, mentions gods in his writing. I don't like that at all. Finally, the acid trippiest book of them all, The Great Journey by Florence Jules. 1972. This book is broken into parts, uh, it's maybe maybe chapters, and was written, uh, by, uh, written on typewriter, but it's bound in leather and stiff card. So each part is titled, generally with something to do with light, the moon, and or silver. The text itself is written like a stream of consciousness type of thing. There's no beginning, middle, or end. It's just a litany of imagery and metaphor. Nothing that really makes any literal sense. It all seems, ah, you know, to give meaning without being understandable. I thought they were a pile of junk when I first got them, and then they seemed a door to a new life and a new way of living. Now they feel like an albatross around my neck. i made myself a part of their crime, and so I've been cursed. I've been staring at the books all day. I don't know what to do. I have to do something. How can things change so quickly? One moment you're in the mud, next, on top of the world, and then just as quickly you fall so hard you wish you were back in the mud. How did these books end up with me? I didn't even bid on them at the auction. I didn't want them. The agent just called me out of the blue and offered them to me. Was he calling around everyone at the auction to see if he could sell them? Was I the first he called, or the seventh? I don't want to know. The books came to me, and I used them. Now Heidi's dead. Just ash. How does a petrol station explode? Did Lane lose control and knock over a pump or something? I, I keep asking questions, but there's just no answers that will make it. Oh, that'll make me feel better. No, that weekend dragged like a year. But time passes, and so does much of the pain. It was a calm before the storm, as they say. What comes next is not pretty. I'll get the journal sorted and posted. What can I say about Shilpa Patel that would make any sense to you? You being anyone who cares to subscribe to this podcast. Yeah. Talking to you, Darren and Kylie. That would be spooky for anyone called Darren and Kylie. You'd probably take this all to be a fantasy audio drama of the cheaper variety. Very cheap, by the way, I'm doing it. My anonymous submitter might be editing in theme music and sound effects, for all I know. Wouldn't be surprised if he added some end-roll ads. But I hope not. not. Well, given you won't believe me anyway, I'll tell you this. Shilpa is not my friend. She is not anyone's friend, at least, not anyone I could imagine. Perhaps she's a tool, a sharp and dangerous tool like a chainsaw. No, no, something more precise, like a table saw. She is sharp, powerful, can rip you in two if you get in her way. Here's my journal about it. Easier to hear the truth from a naive fool reporting it. Well, that's me, I know. That's me from a couple weeks ago. I've grown a lot in that time. Now, I know I'm a naive fool, where previously, I only suspected it. Okay, I'm quitting today. I don't have anywhere to go next, but I'm done. Maybe I roam the earth having adventures and dispensing wisdom. You know, I'll be a bum. No, there's something comforting about that. The lack of responsibility and the freedom that brings. Tony tried to call me over the weekend. I don't know what he wanted and I, I don't want to hear about it. I turned my phone off and kept my doors locked. I don't want to bring those guys down. They're too good for that. He, Heidi was too good for that. I think, I think I always imagined that she'd be there for me and I'd be there for her. How'd I love her. I mean, in what capacity? Does she love me? I think she might have had a crush on me. I think we how Venus fawns over Tony and I, I can't help but compare it to the way higher. Okay, look, I'm quitting today. I'll be a bum and I'll just disappear. First thing when I get to work, I'm going to go see Shilpa and tell her I'm done. I keep saying that. I like the sound of it. I could sell my house and jump on a plane to Canada, cross the border to the US and pick fruit with the backpackers. I'm sure there's some good gap year Aussies in the U.S. who'd love to have me lending a hand. Yeah, well, I'm not a bum. Or, uh, I guess not yet. I'm not homeless for another month or so. The bank has my mortgage, so maybe it takes a while to sell the house? I've no idea what happens. I don't think it ultimately matters. I wonder if there'll be an estate sale when I'm done. That's enough of that talk. Look, head in the game. I went to work that day, hell-bent on quitting and being done with my new life. It hadn't brought me anything other than grief. Ah, except for that time we saved Jennifer McCormick from being eaten. B reminded me of that. It felt bloody good to see the girl in her parents' arms. So one life saved, one life lost. There's a sort of calculus to that. It was only after being determined to quit. And I started to really see what Gemworld was all about. Here's my journal from that lunch break. Can't quit. Super won't let me. Oh anyone hearing this will think I'm something got a whiny little Bitch who's been tongue-lashed into obedience. Well, no. Everyone watched me with grim amusement as I marched resolutely into Shilpa's office. She wasn't there, so I just waited for her. She arrived not long after and sat at her desk, pointedly ignoring me. I could feel my anger fuming off me like a black aura. But she just... She arranged her desk, looked at her computer screen, clicked a few times and finally looked up to... As if she as if she'd just noticed I was there I quit that's fine my my jaws has just dropped to the floor it's not what I was expecting your friends Tony John poor little Venus will have to die on their own as I rip their hearts out one by one I'm not even lying that's what she straight up said her shark eyes just Boring enemy with a blank expression. you what? I will be disappointed that you won't be there to play your part. The death match. Where you demonstrate your skills and perish beneath the might of someone you don't know. But your friends have accepted the invitations you sent them. Couldn't even speak. She's inhuman the way she spoke. She, she's inhuman. What have I got myself into? Oh God be. Did, did she know? I, I, I left her office. My head was swimming, just everything swirling and colliding. Just like asteroids striking each other as it tumble endlessly through the void of deep space. That's what my head felt like. is isn't much better now. I think my team were smirking at each other. I swear at least there was one high five. Why don't turn up, Shilpa will Actually kill my friends. If I do turn up, what happens to me? i let Heidi down. I won't let Venus turn in John down. Oh, God. I'm, I'm going to be sick again. Can't believe how blind I was. Shilpa actually said she would tear their hearts out. I'm convinced she means that literally. I recovered my composure at some point and left the bathroom and went back to my desk. I had an email waiting for me and a meeting invitation. It was a showcase. I'd done several before. This was the first where I actually paid attention. I'll leave it to my journal to go over it. Suffice to say, I was starting to see my job for what it was. I am a pawn in a game. I use my magic at work to intimidate and manipulate. The showcase I did was a carefully choreographed threat. The stakeholders were shown a demo of the game on a computer on the table in front of them, while I did the usual presentation. I hadn't bothered to look at the screen they were watching. I don't think I want to see it, but I'm pretty sure it isn't the game I thought I was developing. <clears throat> as you can see, the arena starts clear and with little to see. It fills as the opponents square up. This is no game where you can just take it easy. You're in. You're committed. Only one person leaves intact. The audience will devour the loser. You don't want to be the loser. That's the sort of stuff I would say as I marched back and forth using all the social priming magic I could muster. When it looked like I was getting to a point where I should be able to see the screen, one of my teammates would steer me back to the board to draw a diagram. Finally one of them, Graham, snapped the screen off as I came to the conclusion of the presentation. The stakeholders looked aghast. I'd previously thought it was a look of rapt awe at the potential of the game. Now I'm pretty sure it was no game I was showcasing. I used every trick in my book to push them in the right direction. The right direction being Shilpa's direction. My team, they were never my team. They danced a fine jig around me, keeping me just oblivious enough that I could fool myself into thinking I was doing good. The way they talked and moved and watched Shilpa's office door at every opportunity tells me there's something very not right. That's why I'm getting rat assed and I think I'll stay deliriously drunk until the launch when I'll perform like a puppet on my strings, just hoping that I don't die and hoping Shilpa leaves my friends alone. John tried calling me this time. I've turned my phone to flight mode, and I'll think I'll leave it that way. Now, these books... I don't want them, and I don't need them. Shilpa will probably kill me in a week's time, and I actually don't want Tony or John or any of them getting sucked into the books. They're going to a private collector I found online, and the proceeds are going to charity. That charity that frees child slaves. Something good should come of this. Oh, that was close. Can't spill my precious... Precious life giving cider. Those poor little apples. I got squished and messed up bad just for me. I drain their life essence to sustain me like, um. Uh, what's this in my book here? A. Oh, I drain them, the apples or ciders. C- apples or ciders? I think they're just apples until they become cider, yeah? Anyway, I drain them like a Rakshasa clouds minds and misleads people. Like a Shakra. Rakshasa. Rakshasa throws countless lives into their schemes and illusions to fight their unending war on Raman. No, that's noodles. Rama. Or. Was that a monkey? Anyway, I bet they drain life essences from apples. Nah, no, no, they exclusively eat meat. Dumb books. That ghoul was a fluke, a throwback. One in a trillion. We would know about these monsters in the mainstream if they are all about the place? Is it racist, if I assume Shilpa is a Rakshasa? It's a Rakshasa? I mean, they're Indian or Sri Lankan or something, and Shilpa, yeah, yeah I'm racist. Not every Indian boss is a Rakshasa, and people are perfectly capable of being evil, manipulating bastards all on their own. I, I do not feel well. That hangover is still pretty fresh in my head. It was epic. I don't think I can drink cider anymore. Nah, who am I kidding? Keep it dry, keep it natural. And I'm in. I chucked the books the next day. I dropped them off at some fancy house on the canals not too far from home. I got ten grand for them. And immediately donated it all. I didn't want anything to do with those books anymore. My life was over. It still might be. At least now I've got an edge. I've got an inside man. I don't think Shilpa knows what books I had. I'm pretty sure she knew I had some source of knowledge. She was using me for my magic and my bravado, and I was happy to give that. not entirely sure of what her end goal is. I do know it isn't to launch a freemium game with micropayments and a basic gambling system. Oh, that game exists. I've played it. And it is being launched tonight. But what my role in this charade is, I'm not sure. After I dropped the books off, I called Venus and told her I was not interested in any more supernatural talk and that I'd be out of contact for the next couple of weeks. I think I was trying to protect them as best I could. On that call, Venus mentioned that she and Tony... Oh, John too, would see me at the product launch. They had received invitations. Naturally, I told them not to go, that Shilpa was not to be trusted, but... I could hear in her voice that my warning was just making her more interested. I had to stop short of my suspicion that Shilpa was not human, and that she had the most part of the company under her spell. I know, if I said that, Venus would have been all over it. There would have been a planning session... B would have been called in for her insight. I didn't want them any more involved than needed to be. And I didn't know at the time if B was part of it or not. It wasn't until later I found out what B's part in all that was. Mmm. I just wrote my will and Testament... testament. Now, I've been trying to say that word so many times. Uh, so, all my great store of wealth will be auctioned off and the proceeds given to charity. I'm giving it all to the refuge. Charity. Refuge? Yeah, you know the one that provides housing to the homeless and stuff. They'd be lucky to afford a cardboard box with what I've worth. Oh, and I added a clause that said the estate agent isn't allowed to. Commit suicide after the auction. That spooks me out all bad and stuff. So launches next week. Oh, I've stopped going to work. Shield can get bent. I'll turn up to the execution and die like the puny insect I am, but I'm not going to bend anyone else. Ha! Uh, For a while after the ghoul, I was considering forming a consultancy. I'd do IT work and fight monsters. Track them down, learn what they are, and then defeat them. I'd... Mm, Pardon me. Uh. I'd track down the helpful things, too. There aren't many of them. There's demons and they're evil sons of bitches, and then there's angels... Pardon me. Bit too much of the cidery. Angels. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm going with the interpretation uh, they their God's action on earth. Their manifestations of physical principles or laws of nature, if you like. So they aren't exactly what I'd term good to counteract the demon, who is distinctly evil. Supposedly there are ga- Gadi- Gadians? What are they? What's a Gadian? No, but, uh, supposedly there are guardian angels. But what do they guard against, and who do they guard? Also, how do you know that their actions are meant as guarding? I mean, if an angel tripped you over so you broke your leg, how do you know that by having a broken leg... You don't get run over by a truck the next day. Did they protect you or harm you? What range of vision do they have? Are they concerned only with ensuring you reach some end purpose without regard to the damage caused in the meantime? As if angels are real anyway. It isn't like one will just come to your door and. Huh? A package. What did I order? must have been weeks ago. Oh, that's a lovely picture. Looks like a tree with an intricate root system and lots of flowers blooming in the branches. Whatever. Uh, There are great evils, and greatly evil people, But when's the last time you heard of... of the opposite of Hitler? I mean, who is that? Who is named as the polar opposite of Hitler? A beacon of compassion, kindness, and good. I mean, if someone is a prick, we say, you're worse than Hitler. But when someone is nice, what do we say? We rarely even say thank you. Thank you, Heidi. It was four days ago that I woke out of that last drunken stupor I inflicted on myself. I'm still having hot flushes and shivers thinking about it. You see them do it in movies and TV shows, but frankly, I don't know how people lose themselves in the bottle. It just doesn't work out very well. It was B who picked me up. I should have looked in my books for a spirit guide or something that looks like Beatrice. There's no way she could just be simple human, not looking like she does, and not with the cool calm she approaches everything. It all seems so ordinary and matter-of-fact with her. I suspect it has to do with her time under the influence of the demon. Can't imagine that was a good time. Oh, oh, God. (coughs) Oh, I've got to record this feeling. The future will need this as a warning to use in public service announcements on the dangers of drinking. I feel like a cat has puked in my mouth and then died. Oh, oh, gross. Oh, it looks like a cat puked on the floor here, too. Nope. That's mine. Now I've got to clean that up. Or just sleep in another room. I've only got a few days left in me anyway. Oh, I need something to get this taste out of my mouth. Coffee. That's the ticket. Oh, shouldn't move so fast. Feels like someone's knocking on my skull trying to get in.
1: Hey, you there?
0: Huh? B? Yeah,
1: it's me.
0: Oh, yes, I can't deal with this now, but... Hang on, let me, um... Just get, um... Oh, wait a sec. Oh, vomit. And I need clothes. Whoa. Are you okay? Yeah, just give me a moment longer. Coming, coming.
1: looked like a cat threw up in your mouth and then died.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. That's exactly what I feel like.
1: And you smell like...
0: I'll just stop this recording.
1: Do you record everything?
0: Not everything, but yeah, you know, I started a while ago in an effort to, I guess, keep track of myself. I didn't let her into my home. It was an absolute disaster in there. If anything, the puke hid the smell of old garbage and dirty dishes that had started their own society. We went to a cafe. Not one I'd been to before. It was further south by the beach. I didn't realize how much I'd miss seeing her every day. Just her presence seemed to break the spell I was under. Or maybe I'd just purged myself enough. The effect was the same. The cafe we went to was quite new as part of a new development that had just opened up. There had been a lot of building work down south in Mandurah. I think since the train line went in and the freeway was upgraded to be non-stop, lots of Perth people realised there was affordable beachside property and a relatively short ride from the city. Kids were playing in the playground just in front of the cafe. We sat at the back, out of the sun, which made my head throb. Away from the mother's group watching over their kids. If I opened a cafe in the suburbs, I would most certainly include a play area for kids and positively encourage mothers' groups. There were probably about ten mums and one dad all drinking a hot drink and most of them eating something. Okay, look, I'm just delaying. These next journals, they chronicle my recovery. Cleaning always takes so much longer than messing things up. B was right. I... Okay, I have to remember to journal like I'm explaining things to someone else, otherwise I'll be listening back to this in time and not remember what I was thinking. Ah, well, it it may well be someone else who'll have to listen to this. So I'll start back a bit to give context. If I ever get the chance to hear this back, I'll need to know what's going on. So B came over this morning. I was a wreck, or at least I was more of a wreck than I am now. So we went out for breakfast and coffee. She was concerned about me because I hadn't been answering the phone and hadn't come into work. She'd asked the gang if they'd heard from me, but they hadn't, of course. Oh my god, breakfast was the best thing I'd eaten in ages. Actually, I think it's the only thing I'd eaten in ages. Well, the eggs, mushroom, beans, greens and sourdough absolutely hit the spot. I'm going back there again for sure. And nope, I won't use magic for a discount. Heck, I'd pay more for that food. In the calm and British way she does, B told me I was not thinking straight. I did make a sneaky little phone recording. i pointless weakling wretch.
1: You are what you think you are. I'd have thought you'd figure that out by now. Shilpa... Shilpa is not human. I suspect she is a Rakshasa. They're expert manipulators. And use their illusion powers to manipulate and intimidate people into doing what they want.
0: You know that for sure?
1: I'm as sure as a person can be about a Rakshasa, or...
0: More accurately, a
1: Rakshasa. They probably have no true form. Can assume any humanoid form they wish. She's been bullying you and using you to manipulate others.
0: I don't know.
1: The confident, strong man I met at the bookstore and who saved that little girl is the one that caught my eye. And the one I need to talk to now.
0: Look, I don't know how she knew all of that nor how long she'd known. But hearing the words just shook me. I felt a shudder pass through me when she spoke about Shilpa. I don't think it was anything supernatural, just me coming to a sudden realisation. My brain must have squirted some serious hormones into my blood at the instant because everything changed. That's how your brain controls you, did you know? You, Venus... Tony oh hang on I'll try to use her voice. You you and Venus Tony no I can't do her voice in the slightest. This is Beatrice talking. You and Venus, Tony and John, you tracked and killed that ghoul. You saved Jennifer. How did you do that? Well, you know, back then I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what was real what what is real, and oh no, that's uh, <laughs> seriously, I'm not going to try her voice again. What is real is what you make real to yourself. Your intention and the energy you feel as you follow your passion is real. At the launch, Shiil is planning something terrible. I'm not sure exactly what, but she will kill you and eat your flesh. She might even feed it to the other workers. There is powerful magic in death and blood. Rakshasa, in particular, gain their strength from killing and from eating meat. What could I say to that? I don't think I was supposed to say anything. I don't understand what she meant by not knowing what terrible things Shilpa was planning. Then, uh, simultaneously, she told me I'll be carved up and eaten. It threw me back to my thoughts and reality. It made me recall the power I felt sitting in the car with the others as we watched Jennifer return to appearance. Right then, there was nothing I couldn't achieve, and I knew what I had to do. I got sidetracked by Shilpa and the promise of power. The promise Shilpa made was, well, it was not real. The only power there was hers. So I left breakfast full of food and full of the strength of intent. I'm going to kill Shilpa or die fighting. It's quite likely, since I have no idea what a Rakshasa is. I I remember the name from... hmm, It was in one of my books, and there was something about monkeys and... Apples? Hmm, I I can't even remember if if that was last night or the night before. The books. Oh, no! I, I sold them and their precious knowledge. I'm intent on finding Shilpa, but... I don't even know what a Rakshasa is, or what a Rakshasa does. I've looked on the internet, and good old Wikipedia has an entry on them, but who knows how accurate that is. B says, though, Rakshasas are magical beings. They have mortal bodies, so all I have to do is kill her, and I'm free. But she has powers of illusion, and she's a master manipulator, and if Wikipedia is to be believed, they're all born warriors created to fight in a war. The war is different depending on exactly what source you go to. Regardless, she's probably got some sweet ninja moves and bow staff skills. I have to recover the books. They have an account of someone fighting a Rakshasa, which would be more helpful than wiki entries. They've probably been edited by the Rakshasa themselves. I'll call a meeting and reveal what's going on. My friends are in this too anyway. Shilpa has already threatened them, plus I need help. I called Venus first. I think I did that because I thought she'd go easiest on me. I'm not very perceptive when it comes to people. She tore me a new one and then kicked me fair in that. But you know what? it actually felt good being told off. It was like I felt I needed someone to be angry at me. It was a it was a catharsis, and after she'd finished yelling, I apologized and told her that we had to talk about Shilpa and the game launch. She was a little confused, but agreed and organised with Tony and John to meet at Capilano like we'd met the first time. The courtyard-style restaurant was fairly empty, as it was just after the lunch rush. The umbrella shelters threw cool dark shade over the table in the back corner we favoured. The mural of Roman streets again gave the illusion that we were in some faraway place, and I really felt like I was walking to some new and unusual city. I've been told our bodies are a store of great wisdom if we just listen to them. I was feeling physically what was metaphorically happening in my life. A new page had turned and I was in alien territory. My mind hadn't caught up yet, but my body knew the truth of it. I should listen to my body more often. When we met under one of the large umbrella shelters, Tony shook my hand all serious-like, despite his somewhat whimsical 80s Euro-fashion hair and brilliant sun yellow suit, but John just picked me up and gave me a great huge bear hug, squeezing the life out of me. felt so good to be accepted. I understand now that Shilper had got me to isolate myself and, in so doing, remove my support and anchor into reality. These guys actually cared. Again, I felt it in my body and my mind slowly caught up, panting and blubbering. I told them about Heidi. Venus commiserated that it must be terrible to have lost my girlfriend like that. I never saw it. I never saw the Heidi Martin. <clears throat> I'll add the next journal entry now. Okay, here's the plan so far. I'm trying to hunt down the books. Maybe I can borrow them from the collector to read. John. He's getting an extra taser and pepper spray. We told him to just bring his gun, but as he tells it, handguns are highly restricted, and his license only covers him while he's on official security duty that has been rated as requiring a gun. He could get a shotgun or a hunting rifle if we had a couple of weeks to process the paperwork, but we don't. And a double barrel shotgun is way too big to use except when hunting. Same with a rifle. None of us are quite ready to break the law enough to get a sword-off shotgun, or modified rifle, or stolen handgun, even if we knew where to get one. Ah, if you get caught with something like that, there's some pretty serious trouble. Oh, to top it off, if John did get his Glock checked out, he'd have to account for every shot he takes, even at the shooting range. So, he'll get us a taser and some pepper spray. You still need a security license to get a hold of that, but... They're not as restricted in the same way. Tony reckons he's got a protective amulet from his nonna. He's getting that. And Venus is acting as our comms officer, keeping us all up to date and in touch with each other. My first stop is the house I dropped the books off at. First thing in the morning, I'll go there. And nope, I'm not going to work tomorrow either. Feels good to have a plan and take action. I don't know what I'm going to do if the collector doesn't let me at least look at his books. I'd be willing to try magic. Ah, uh, maybe that's not a good idea. If this guy actually knows what those books are, and he might have a bit of magic on his own. Ah, crap! Why didn't I think of this before? I mean, who else would purposefully look for this sort of book? I remember that house I went to for the estate auction. It was full of creepy stuff, and it felt wrong all over. And the estate agent, I... Well, I don't think he's alive anymore. Okay, well, I'll have to scope this guy's house out first and take care. I'm not really sure what exactly to look for, but I guess if I watch out for, well, um, anything that isn't 100% authentic, or anything that looks too good to be true, look, oh, I've got no clue. But I'll keep an eye out. Heck, I might be able to just knock on the door and ask if I could please borrow the books for a moment. Now yeah, I'm in front of the house, I decided I should get a look at it at night without so many people watching me watch the house. It's big, I think what, maybe three stories. From the street I can see two levels, but the driveway goes down and I, I know the canal frontage is lower than the road level, so I think, I think there's a third level down there. Man, this house would cost a pretty penny, that's for sure. The huge curtain wall windows, you know, like you see on shop fronts or, or coating skyscrapers, those those alone would cost more than, well, more than the house I live in. Then there's the landscape garden, and there's a dock out the back, and no doubt a big power yacht tied up to it. That's the thing about Mandra. On one side, the inland side, there's state housing and cheap duplexes for pensioners, and down here in Hall's Head, there are man-made canals with mining millionaires mansions basically if you owned shares in a mine or exploration company at the right time you got rich and quick i can't see down the driveway It goes down into the dark there may be a a door down there controlled by a remote i can't see any lights on in the windows but they look like they're tinted so i can't see if there are blackout curtains inside there probably are maybe if i get a look from the canal side, I'd see a light, or maybe no one is there now. For all I know, the books are just sitting in an empty house, waiting for the owner to come down on the weekend to go fishing. I've thought about trying to break in, but in all honesty, I don't really know how to break in, so I'd just be trying doors to see if they're unlocked and not alarmed. And then there's the issue of the owner. If he or she is connected to the supernatural or occult world, Coming at night might be the worst thing I could do. I'll come back in the morning and knock on the door. Okay. Nice sunny day, no scary shadows about the place, I'm just an ordinary guy walking to an ordinary house. So I'm about to go up and ring the doorbell of the collector. I'll leave the phone on recording in my top pocket to catch what's going on. The audio saves to a cloud drive so even if my phone is broken or taken, the recording will survive. <sighs> I might not, but the audio will, nice. If only I could upload myself to the cloud, like a shining silver light spewing out of my belly. Nice plants, sort of a tropical look and feel popular around here. I think it's what people call Bali-inspired, seeing as it is generally cheaper to fly to Bali for a holiday than anywhere in Australia, most people go there. Not me. I'm actually from over east, where people fly the land a long way. silly bugger, that's New Zealand, for ski holidays, or for extreme sports like making fun of the All Blacks. I should keep an eye out for anything unusual, what the hell is unusual anyway? Let's see, there's uh, lots of plants, stone paving path curving around palms and broad understory plants. I've said plants too many times. Like I don't know what those things are called. Does dichondria sound right? Look, I'm not a botanist. If there were computer components, sure I'd have a chance. Okay. No markings or disturbances in the mulch, no markings or discoloration on the trees. It all looks spectacularly ordinary. (laughs) Holy crap! (sighs) Crap, crap, crap! What was that? What the hell happened? The house bloody exploded! I don't think the books are there. Or at least not in one piece anymore. bees at my place. Or at least that's her car. Oh yep, there she is. What brings her here? B what are you up to you look uh, unhappy have you decided to fight against Shilpa uh, yes but I, I don't know how I don't have the books anymore and the collector I sold them to doesn't have them either at least if they did they're up in flames now you don't need the books
1: Raksha's a like anyone else Shilpa must have the books now she has to die
0: uh, I guess we'll try our best no
1: your best may not be enough on launch night, I'll make sure you get a chance. I'll distract Shilpa, and when I do, you all need to be ready to strike. Raksasar are tough, but their bones break and they bleed just
0: like humans. You shouldn't be there, B. This is likely to be... Uh, I don't know that I'll make it, but I need to know that you'll be okay. I'll
1: be fine. I don't need your protection. What protection can you give me anyway? I'll make sure you get your chance. It's you who needs the help.
0: And so I've got an inside man. For some reason, I'm not worried about B. There's something about her cool demeanor that tells me she'll be okay. I don't know what the distraction and opportunity will be, but... I've got a taser, a telescopic baton, three good friends with the same, and not a lot to lose. I'm unsure that I'll get through this one, but... If I can stop whatever Shilpa is trying to do, I think I'll... Die, well, not happy as such, but at least feeling that I have a purpose which works just fine for me. I've told Venus, Tony, John about my journals, and about this podcast system I've set up. I'll be recording tonight's encounter straight to the cloud. If I don't make it, then one of the other guys will post my last entry, so don't be surprised if you've got a different friendly narrator. Telling you these crazy stories. I hope they continue this after I'm gone. If I'm gone... No. I will survive. I've already survived and I've already won. I'm done with Shilpa and Gemworld. I think I've said that before. I'm done. Ah, one last thing... I do have the books back. I found the package a couple of hours ago. It was the mystery package delivered while I was ranting about the lack of angels. Was that irony? Just when I'm complaining there are so few symbols of good in the world, I get an unaddressed package dropped on my door and it just happens to have the books I had just sold. I donated that money the same day. Just deposited it in my account and did a wire transfer direct to the charity. Was it B? Is she an angel? Sounds a little far-fetched. She's just brave and willing to help. I, I have to get ready. The Great Journey, by Florence Jules, 1972 On the Lunar Rays Shine Gnosis That Flowers in the Bed of Rama Page 108 An island is more and less than soil adrift in an ocean. As part of the whole, it is not separate, but cut through and surrounded by the surface of flux and floral variability. There is wealth in islands, and recognizing their duality, This solid permanence coupled with the rise and fall of eternal liquid shrouds. And the monkey that fights the tiger battles for dominance over these islands, and the island. For the shape of the thing suggests the purpose of that thing, and in the monkey lies the blueprint of man, and in the tiger lies the hunger for permanence beneath the waves of obscurity. The song of life is strong in both monkey and tiger and their battle will never end. The tiger fears the monkey, for his form leads to great knowledge, and the monkey fears the tiger, for his form leads to consumption and oblivion. But the tiger has no true form, and the monkey is also of the island and the waters. Ward off the tiger with the monkey, but beware the tiger also will consume the monkey to consume the island, though in being consumed himself, the tiger within the monkey, his hold on the soils of the island fails, and he slips into the waters of and for eternity. That's weird, right? So the whole book is excerpts like that. There's some um, 483 pages of stream-of-consciousness typewriting. Many sections seem to start with some reference to the moon or silver light illuminating things. The weirdest thing is this passage has relevance, I think. The book itself was written in 1972. Seems to have been photocopies of typewritten pages, all numbered and in order. Some of the pages are actually just what appears to be biro-doodles. The type you might make while talking on the phone or sitting in a boring meeting. I wonder if you're supposed to read it high. Anyway, here's a bit from Collected Journals and Writings of the Hunters by Victor Hills in 1786. It ties in with Florence's rambling. I'm not sure what part of the great journey I can make use of, but... Well, you'll see. June twenty. 1756, Calcutta, Fort William. I first spied the scene from atop a spire overlooking the base of Fort William. Fires built the previous evening surrounded the fort as the Nawab's men laid siege. I fear I was too late to stop a tragedy from transpiring. I came to Calcutta to observe and possibly capture or kill a legendary Rakshasa. It is thought The Rakshasa were created only to fight Rama and capture the island of Sri Lanka from his monkey soldiers, but I find that hard to believe. My experience tells me Rakshasa are a complete race of spiritual, magical beings from the prehistoric battles of mystical entities that form the basis of Hindu mythology. They are neither good nor evil, so much as alien. Some are said to aid people, protecting them and helping them survive otherwise disastrous events, like guardian angels, while others are man eating monsters, seemingly held bent on carnage. Given the scene I have witnessed, I knew the Rakshasa I was hunting was more closely a relative of the latter classification. Earlier in the nineteenth, the fort's commander had ordered his men to escape, but left John Zepaniah Holwell, a former military man, in charge of some seven score men, The native allies had shortly fled, leaving the fort undermanned. They had no hope of holding off the besieging army, and sure enough, during the afternoon of the 20th, the fort gates were breached and the British surrendered. I moved in amongst the confusion of victory. I was unnoticed, having donned an effective disguise. Remaining unshaven and wearing a turban, I passed for a native if I wasn't too closely examined. The Rakshasa, is a tricky beast to track, given its ability to change form and cast illusion. Despite its cunning, the tiger spirit of the Rakshasa reveals itself by its desire or need to consume. It even hoards knowledge if only to... ingest it. The damage done to the library of Nawab Siraj Uddwala is a telltale sign. I have no doubt this conflict between the Nawab and the company... Was fomented by the shape shifting beast. I have no idea what its end goal might be. It could simply be for the delight of conflict, or it could be some ancient sense of patriotism. In any case, it is important not to attribute human motivation to the inhuman. I found where they had herded the some threescore odd survivors to the prison block, the black hole as it was known. I knew then that one of the guards, or more likely the officer, was the Rakshasa. The black hole was a small room, meant to house no more than two or three men at a time, but when the door was opened, the room it revealed appeared expansive and capable of easily affording the accommodation of the sixty-seven men being shoved in. Knowing better, I anointed my eyelids with the monkey spit balm I had made up. The king of tricksters, The monkey has the power to see past tricks and lies, and in this case, past the Rakshasa's illusion. The room was so small, the guards had trouble shutting and bolting the door on the poor souls being locked in. The guards remained unaware of the appalling act they were performing. I made the decision at that point to continue to execute my commission, rather than rescue the men. I regret that decision still and I think the image of all those men struggling and gasping will haunt me for the rest of my life. I followed the officer and his guards back to their posts, still unsure which was the monster. The monkey spit let me see through tricks and deception, but the Rakshasa possesses no true form, so any form it takes is as true as any other. It is not a trick that can be seen through. There was one test I could do, Though not conclusive, it works well enough. The rakshasa is always wary of, and you might say frightened, by monkeys. Out of sight, I began making noises, like a monkey, quietly at first, and then gaining in volume. At the same time, I drew my scimitar. Then, with a screech, I leapt from behind the corner, capering like a monkey, screeching and screaming. Screaming. To any human observer, I would have appeared surprising but comical. The officer's eyes widened in shock, but as one of the guards who shrunk back, arms flailing in sudden terror, while he was still off balance and ignoring the officer and other guard, I lunged forward and slashed with my sword, the Rakshasa, quick as a whip and lithe as a dancer, spun out of the way. They have built into them the instincts and power of a warrior at peak condition, and the wisdom of indefinable age. My first attack was doomed to fail despite my swift strike tattoos and the charm of St. George I wore. But, fast as the Rakshasa was, my strike clipped the tip of a finger from an upraised hand. That was all I needed, because I knew the single weakness of the Rakshasa and the tip of a finger was all I needed." I rolled to the floor and ended the Rakshasa's existence, his body collapsing and fading as if he were made of no more than smoke. I made my escape then, before the others could recover their composure." Wow, okay, so you see the great journey passage, and talks about a battle between a tiger and a monkey over an island. Clearly. Clearly that is metaphorical in some way, or or maybe also literal since I've read the Wikipedia entry on Rakshasa and they were created to conquer Sri Lanka, which is an island, and they fought against monkey soldiers, whatever they are. I'm just not sure how the hunter killed the Rakshasa. Seems like he assumed the reader would just know, so it wasn't worth mentioning. Well, I'm about to go off and fight one now and I don't know what that weakness is. I also don't know how to make monkey spit, unless it literally is just monkey spit, and I don't have magic tattoos or a charm of St. George. Seems some of these hunters in the collected journals and writings were well equipped for their job. If I survive tonight, and that is seeming a little far-fetched now, I hear that Rakshasa have built into them The instincts and power of a warrior at peak condition. And I have all the power and instincts of a computer programmer who likes to jog at lunch. I mean, sure, I've done some martial arts as a kid and and a little kendo like all good nerds, but I didn't progress with that and it was more than ten years ago since I last did anything one might call martial. I'm not a warrior though, I'm realising I probably should be. Still... The hunter didn't have a team and wasn't armed with a taser. So we'll see. And what do I have? I mean, really. I think the saying that it isn't the dog in the fight, but the fight in the dog that counts is true. So do I have enough fight in me? When I first found the books, I thought I could finally see the real world. But you know what the real world is? It's inside. inside. That's cheesy, right? Yeah, true. Before I woke up, I was all external. I wanted people to recognize me and I thought I deserved awards and praise, but I had no... I had nothing inside. I mean, what was my intention? What was what was in my core? Nothing. Heidi believed in me. I think she saw something more in me. I, I miss her. Uh, That's what I have now. I know I can make a difference, and so I must. The monkey can defeat the tiger. I must consume the tiger. What was that about? Did Florence mean that literally or figuratively? Do I have to mentally become like a tiger? Or did the hunter do something with the tip of the rakshasa's finger? Oh, look, it's... It's time to go.
2: Crap, crap, crap! Be cool. Panic screws with your perception and reaction. Breathe through it and be centred. Oh, easy for you, John. You're an absolute machine.
1: Tony, guys, we can do this. Beatrice says this back door has been left clear.
0: You are right. I'm the monkey becoming the tiger. Consuming her.
1: What? Are you recording this?
0: Oh yeah, straight to the cloud. I've sent each of you an email with all the login details and instructions on how to post this anonymously as a podcast. That's a bit morbid. I've told you before I'm keeping all this as a public record. This can't be kept secret. I doubt anyone will think it's real. I've got a guy editing and releasing it all. He thinks there's an audio drama. I've asked him not to add any music or opener, but... You know, Okay, guys, can we focus? Consume your tigers and be the monkey or whatever that means, but let's get in.
2: You all remember how to use your batons, pepper spray, taser?
0: Yep. Let's go. B made sure this door was open and not being watched. We're supposed to come in this way and catch Shilpa by surprise while she preps in the back room. We're a good hour early so there won't be any guests hanging around, and B will make sure no one from Gemworld is out back. It all goes to plan, the door ahead will open onto a room with just B and Shilpa. And then there's no hesitation. We have to all charge her at once to secure. I have to knock her out or kill her fast before she gets a chance to use her illusion on us. That's the plan, as rubbish as it is. Okay, ready? On three. One, two, three.
1: I'm so glad you made it right on time. B? What? Why? She was using you, you fool. But you don't have the books anymore. And that collector is gone, and so are the books. B! (laughs) <laughs> don't look so surprised I don't see what Heidi sees in you I'll have to ask her. do you think it's just happy coincidence I ran into you at the bookstore why do you think I turned up to the estate auction I was too late of course but there were several auctions to get to that day enough, my stakeholders are eager for the death match you see the cameras make sure you put on a good show And that was the last you saw of her.
0: Well then, let's mess this bitch up. Holy... You got your gun? Venus? What the...
1: Ouch. I'm not so easy to kill as that. Why? Shh. You little...
2: I'm recording this, like the instructions in the email told me. I agree, this needs to be bigger than just us. Most people will hear this and think it's a simple, serialised fiction, but the people that matter will know it's true, and I hope it helps them. We sacrifice too much for us to keep it secret. After it was clear Beatrice had betrayed us, we rushed Shilpa. I've never seen anyone move so fast or so confidently. She knocked me aside with ease. We got some good solid hits on her with the battens, but she didn't even flinch. I could see they hurt her, but it was like she could ignore the pain and keep moving, like a perfectly trained warrior, a Terminator. Her body just kept responding and reacting without her direct control. She grabbed Tony by the throat and had her hand drawn back to slash at him with her claw-like nail, but Venus knocked Tony out of the way and took the hit. It's the worst thing I've ever had to watch. Her small body was just ripped apart like she'd been thrown into the way of a lawnmower. She was grinning as she kicked Venus's body aside. I pulled my gun and as she turned to me I pulled the trigger. I couldn't miss. I was no more than a metre away. Straight between the eyes. She fell back like a felled tree. I was the only one left standing. Venus lay dead, no need to check her pulse, and the others were laid out with bruises and cuts all over them. Tony was blinking slowly. I don't think I could have taken it if he had died. Thank you, Venus. You're a hero. But that didn't stop her. I had to put my gun away and was kneeling down by Tony when Shilpa sprang back to her feet, the bullet wound closing over kicked me in the guts, knocking me flat. She turned away from me, and I couldn't see what happened, but she screamed and then sort of dissolved or faded. John,
0: out. <coughs> oh. be betrayed us. She had to set us up and left us to die. I don't understand. Every time I think I know what's going on and how things work, I, f- I find it, I'm like, John Snow. I know nothing. Was she after the books this whole time? Shilpa must have sent her find the books. <coughs> oh, she, she doesn't know I have them. Could it have been her at the collector's house? I don't know. And I, and I don't know who returned the books to me or why. There's just so much I don't know. I did figure out how to kill Arakshasa in the end. Seems pretty obvious now. It was in the great journey. When we all rushed Shilpa, I got one hit with my baton, but before I could hit her with the taser, she did some cool roundhouse back kick thing to my head and knocked me down. I saw Venus cop open handed oh, slap is too gentle a word, man. Oh she was knocked back while she's Spun, she push-kicked John back and caught Tony by the throat. Venus threw herself in the way of Shilpa's clawed hand. I, I guess she can shape-change at will because she'd grown herself some claws, tiger claws, I bet. I thought I'd pass out and thought I could just after John shot her. Apparently, he managed to check his gun out on the pretense of taking to the firing range, but skipped out with checking it back in. He stole some bullets from somewhere, just, just a couple. When we left, he took the shell casings and found the bullets at it. Uh, there, was, there was no evidence anyway. If I was about to pass out after the shot, I woke up pretty damn quickly when Shilpa got back up. I felt as if my head would burst from the sudden rush of blood. My hammering heart surged. I think I could just about feel my kidneys squirting adrenaline. She'll put turn to me, picked me up from the ground by the collar, threw me up against the wall like you see it in the movies. She was so strong. I asked her why she was doing all this. That's when she put her finger to my lips to press some clothes and shush me. I remember thinking to myself that I could just about taste her. That's when the hunter's story and the great journey clicked together. The hunter had only needed to sever the very tip of the Rakshasa's finger. That's all he needed. And the monkey consumes the tiger, sending it into the ocean's depths. (coughs) I bit her finger. I crunched down as hard as I could. The feeling of the flesh giving way beneath my teeth still sickens me. I didn't bite all the way through the finger, but I did pull a bit of the fleshy part off and that was all I needed. I swallowed. I consumed a part of the tiger absorbed her. The Rakshasa draws its power from consuming meat, the flesh of living animals. It seems it's a two-way passage, and when a Rakshasa is themselves consumed, they give up all their power. Doesn't have to make sense, it's mythology. I I think there are deeper connections between events and matter, a sort of entanglement between the physical and what we would consider as just conceptual. I think in some way, the ideas and concepts we think are real. And we're observing them with apparatus we've yet to identify. Look, Tony's okay. John's just a little bruised. And I'm not dead yet. My head hurts like nobody's business. And I've been icing it non-stop. If my brain doesn't swell up and crush itself, I'll pull through. We left Venus behind. There's just nothing we could do. I wish we could have done something. She was she was all over the place. Oh, oh. No, we just needed to escape. We had no idea who was watching through those cameras. Or what was watching. We didn't know if Shilpa had reinforcements coming, or if we were now targeted for attribution. We just we just didn't have the tools, skill or time to do anything. Hi, I represent Exit Plan Security. We are expert consultants in... uh, No, um... We are consultants with expertise in extricating you from the difficult and unusual situations you never believed you could be in. No, um... Okay, I know. We are like Sam and Dean, only not American, and we don't have a cool car. Sorry, Tony, your car is nice, but it isn't cool. Oh, uh, guys, this is tough. I mean, what are we, like, in one sentence? How do we convey that we deal with supernatural or outlandish issues without sounding like a joke? Like, we need to reach people who think they're going crazy or have run out of options. Do we like exit plan security as a name? Okay, uh, well, I'll I'll just record some of the ideas. <clears throat> We are a consultancy that specialises in personal security. Thank you, John, for your licence. Private investigation and the destruction or subdual of uncommon or cryptid creatures and entities. When you're in too deep and nothing makes sense, you need an exit plan. I could change my name to Dean. I think I can do Dean. Honey, we could all do Dean, but I've always thought of you as a Sam. (laughs) I couldn't do Dean. I mean, a little light snuggling maybe, but I think that's about it. Uh, anyway, look, mine's off Sam and Dean. We're trying to put together a business plan.
2: What was Beatrice talking about when she said she'd have to ask Heidi what she sees in you? Oh,
0: seriously? I forgot she said that.
2: It just came to me
0: now? Maybe she was trying to tell us something. Perhaps you didn't betray us quite as badly as we thought. But I assumed Heidi died in the explosion at the petrol station, but when I, mean, I saw the car she arrived in, all burnt out. There's no body recovered. I just don't know. It's a little bit too much like some sort of daytime soap opera. I mean, what's Beatrice's
2: motivation? Motivation? We don't know what game Beatrice is playing. She dropped the ghoul on us and then convinced you to try to kill Shilpa. Maybe she's holding Heidi for more.
0: Oh, look. Look, that'll come. I've got nothing to go on. If Beatrice is hoping to use Heidi, she'll have to get in touch. Until then... Can only assume she was messing with me? That's all I can think of. But let's work out our exit plan security strategy. We just got our first job as exit plan security. There's a big new building going up in Sydney, over top of an old train yard in Redfern. There have been numerous acts of sabotage and two guys have been badly injured as a result. I don't have the full details yet, but they want us to investigate and intervene. That's all I know. I don't know why they think we can be of help, but I do know they are paying our full consulting rate, so it looks like we eat this week. Here is what I found in our books. The Great Journey by Florence Jules I'm going to look for something in here every time now. It seems garbled, but it seemed to make some sense with Shilpa. In the gleam of a silver fork bent at the tines. It's page 43. Over and over. I'll start again because I can't read. Over us and under us, there lies the river of all things. The fisherman casts a line in, and isn't surprised when he gets a bite. But the wading bather doesn't like the attention of the river's caress. The bank crumbles over time as a fisherman changes position with the seasons. The course of the river shifts, and with it go the fish and the cold hands of the river's desire. That desire, that carries the intent of the caress, is to destroy permanence and test the foundation of our perception. Resistance of the banks fails to shift the river for long, And though the fisherman kicks rock and rubble into the river to appease it, he must change his position to catch the fish he needs, and the bather is submerged to return elsewhere cleansed and forever other. So I don't think I'm quite high enough to fully grasp what that's about, but I like the use of the term fork as an implement for eating and for a change in a river. Again with the silver reference and Light. One day maybe I'll figure out what that's about. But Flo is talking about a river that erodes the surrounding banks and changes course. She talks about a fisherman catching fish and a bather being taken by the river and being forever changed. The building site is over old train tracks, which I sort of think is like a river that has changed course. But the building is trying to withstand the old path the trains took. I'm not sure about the fisherman, but he kicks rubble into the river in an effort to stop it changing, so he can cast his line, which might be considered sabotage from the builder's point of view. I guess uh, I have to admit it's a pretty weak link. But here is some more commentary by David Geldstein in his catalogue of the various lost denizens of the Old World. Ah. May 12, 1820. It was a beautiful day, and the sun glinted off the grease on the steam pump dredging water from the newly dug iron pit mine in the Principality of Transylvania, just to the east of Cluj-Napoca. I hope I pronounced that right. The grassy meadows of small farm holdings in the far distance made a patchwork of the otherwise heavily forested hills. The snow caps of the Carpathians to the north and east seemed to cradle and frame the valley. In the shadow of the mountains live some of the most diverse legends, many of which may well be fact still. It is hard to determine which superstitions are true and which have been hung as window dressing on otherwise mundane events and notable people. What was notable now in the valley was the collection of steam pumps making accessible ever deeper reserves of iron ore. I've come to this valley for the conflicting legends of the gnome spirits here. On one hand, they are said to work with the Tsarnae of the forest, to look over and protect the people, and keep the machines and equipment running while, on the other, they are said to be the ones that sabotage and destroy machines. This is besides the story of children being lured into, or guided out of, the forest. It is easy to imagine the failure of a complex modern machine, such as a steam pump, to be the work of a malignant spirit, but these stories were present prior to the modern era. In days past, it was forge bellows failing, loose roof tiles, or even a broom snapping. Presently, there has been a rash of machine failures and boiler explosions that have killed several workers. This level of destruction is unusual, and is being blamed on a batch of spirits, disturbed when the underground stream that runs under this valley was diverted and pumped away. There is a fear that such radical and rapid deviation of nature's course invites supernatural backlash. It is possible in this instance that the creatures that dwelt in the depths of the rocks have been upset, and have turned their malevolence on the machines and the people who run them. Uh, anyway, um, blah blah, interview people, blah blah. Okay, here we go. The stakeout. I set myself in place, hidden by strips of bark and a cloak first rubbed with rosin from the pines and then coated with sand and stone chips. In this way, if I sit very still... I would be largely invisible to a human, but most importantly, the natural coverings would conceal me from the gnomes of the valley while I did their work. It was on the second such evening of vigil that I saw movement. The afternoon shift had just changed, and the sun was kissing the peaks of the west. From behind a pile of slag to the left of pump number two, a short, skinny creature stepped. He stood bent double, the ridges of his spine pressing sharply outward, His grey, lumpy skin was drawn tight, revealing his ribs and wiry sinew and muscle. If he stood erect, he would scarcely reach a height of three feet. He used his hands to help climb and creep over the rubble to the base of the pump. One clawed hand ran over the surface of the pump with what seemed reverence, before he drew back and punched his open hand into the belly of the pump, piercing the iron side as if it were paper. He reached around inside, going up to his elbow before retracting his hand, and with a last glance at the machine, he scampered away again. At first, the pump seemed unaffected, but then a slight vibration started, and over the following minutes, it grew into a high-pitched screech. Workers came running from all over the mine site before one of the engineers turned, and, waving his hands, chased everyone away. Taking heed of the warning, I too ran behind a rock outcropping, in time to hear an almighty crashing as the pump failed. Okay, so it looks like we've got our first job, to scare off some gremlins and maybe catch a fish from the river of all things. This is my exit plan. I hope you have enjoyed listening to the binge episodes of Season 1. I'd like to thank Tanya Regan as the voice of Venus, Mark Regan as John, David Ryan Kinsman as Tony, and Ellen O'Connor as Beatrice. Season 2 is coming up next week. Follow at Gravity Undone on Twitter to keep up to date and visit gravityundone.net for more information. I'm sorry I couldn't make the computer talk for you this week.